All right, all right, all right. You know what that sound means. I am Mitch Maley, and this is the Bradenton Times podcast. I am joined once again by my colleague, investigative rock star journalist, Don Kitterman. And we've got a wild week to talk about in really Republican politics in general. There's, there's not a, nearly as much to talk about on the Democratic side this week. And we can go from Washington to Tallahassee to Manatee County with this week's <laughs> But first, I want to congratulate you, Mrs. Kitterman, Me. on that great reporting you did on the real Manatee County conservatives. Ah, uh, yes. The, the AstroTurf group that is now eating the tail of our local party and really causing a lot of chaos as some of the, mm -hmm. maybe you might say the most um, political, most involved factions of local Republican politics are sort of in a circular firing squad over who's a real Republican and who's a rhino. Now, this is an ongoing story. If you've been following Manatee County politics, this has been going on for years, but it's just, it's evolving at a level. This The snake is eating his tail really faster than I would have thought because <laughs> where we're at right now in terms of who's real is basically maybe whoever Jason Bearden says is real. Oh no! I think it's uh, who is some is there is there a, is there a commissioner whisper? I doubt it. I it's all it's all strategy. Mm, so it might be a strategist who's deciding who's I'm a real. Sure, there's some think tankers, yeah. out there. And then above that, there's check writers who <laughs> pay for the think tanks. But so let's start with and a really. Interesting, and this is a little bit wonky, so please bear with me, but I promise you we're going to tie this all together. Uh, new news, and again, we're, we're recording on Wednesday, so we don't have the wetlands vote, and I have to tell you, I will... You know, I would be more surprised if I, what's the old saying from Christmas Vacation? I couldn't be more surprised if I woke up with my face sewn to the carpet <laughs> than I would to, find, to see the Manatee County Commission vote against this developer-driven wetland gutting protections, but nonetheless, I'll have to go for the public tomorrow and do it anyway. If you haven't already, I would greatly encourage you to read the thoughtful op-ed we published today from friend of the Bradenton Times, Bryce Claypool, who was my recent guest on this podcast, a 15-year-old kid who just <laughs> is providing me with a, a much-needed dose of hope through this whole thing because here you have a 15-year-old kid who is far more intelligently explaining the situation than the county's paid-for consultant or any of its commissioners, let alone the people behind it. So if you haven't had a chance, please read that op-ed that's at the top of the BradentonTimes.com today. But big news nationally, Speaker McCarthy, Republican Congressman Kevin McCarthy, is out as Speaker in a unprecedented happening in Washington. When I say that, I literally mean unprecedented. This has never, ever happened. It was attempted before, I think it was 1910, I want to say, uh, where that speaker survived a, a potential overthrow. This is the first time a party has ever gotten rid of a speaker. And this goes back to McCarthy was only able to get the speakerhood by putting in this rule that would make it easier to remove him. So this was always going to be a danger. This had been there previously, and this is how Boehner, Congressman uh, Boehner, got removed as Republican House Speaker during the Tea Party era, and this was then taken out by Speaker Pelosi when Democrats got the gavel back, and then it was put back in as a deal for them to come up with a speaker. So what was able to happen were eight Republicans were able to join with Democrats by calling a speaker... Uh, by, by, by challenging the speaker and then joining with them to remove him. So it's uncertain who the next speaker will be. Uh, there's even some rumors and some potentiality that it could be Donald Trump because the speaker does not have to be a member of the House. Yes. I, which, yeah. is, which is a weird, wild thing. It's never not been a leader of the House, but that's out there. And some people are floating it. So that could be extremely interesting. But you have eight Republicans decided Kevin McCarthy is not the speaker anymore. Now, some of them are from this Liberty Caucus, and it's Matt Gates that drove the whole thing. Matt Gates, Florida representative, uh, the one who's under investigation for, I, I guess we could roundly, let's just use their term for it, being a groomer. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I've not been following that closely. Obviously, I know who Matt Gates is. Yeah, he's under whatever, investigation but. for uh, 
traveling around with women under the age of 18 and flying them across state borders, uh, ostensibly or allegedly for the purpose for, let's just say, um, carnal purposes and potentially with some substances involved, just a lot of stuff that's, that's traditionally non-conservative. We just want to say that. Um, so he's moving this from the right movement and he's joined by seven other Republicans. And then, you know, the maybe closer to the center Republicans were kind of like, well, the Democrats will save us. They don't want to see somebody like that get, get the gavel. And the Democrats were like, no, we will. If you give us something meaningful, McCarthy, what will you promise? Will you, will you give us something? Well, no, I'm actually going to kind of blame you for this government shutdown that I'm dangling over. <laughs> Let's take a second to, to talk about that. Um, for anybody that doesn't understand that this is the most, this is probably the most asinine nonsensical aspect of our federal government is that we operate under this process where you approve a budget and approve spending, and then you have to come back and vote on whether or not you're going to pay for the spending that you approved. <laughs> and it's become in fashion now since the tea party, this is kind of where this, you know, started becoming standard practice for Republicans to say, well, every time we have to pay the bill that we approve the spending for, we're going to hold Congress and really the whole federal government hostage and say, we'll shut down the whole federal government if you don't give us a laundry list of demands mm -hmm. that nobody agreed upon when we were approving this spending. And the best analogy that people always use is it's, it's literally the same as if you and I were to go to lunch right now and, and order, you know, at O'Bricks or Pier 22 and you know, I want the grouper sandwich and I want this, I want this and all the prices are there. And the bill comes around and we say, Whoa, hold on now before we pay this, let's talk about you putting in some more parking places or lowering the cost of cappuccino. And my, it's, it's asinine. You know, they would look at us like we had two heads and be like, no, we, we, we had an agreement here. You, you ordered things. There were prices associated with none of this is a surprise. We were all in agreement when the, when the order was, was placed and now we're fighting over whether or not you're going to pay for the thing that you agreed to pay for, that's literally what we're doing here. Now, it's it's absurd. We always end up coming back with these uh, continuing resolutions, which is, is a short-term funding gap. So, yes, oh, the drama's over. All the articles, which we don't even run them anymore, of what will happen? How will the local economy be impacted at the federal government? Because it doesn't shut down. They, they fill out a CR, and this one basically had everything except Ukraine funding in it. And the Democrats went crazy about that. Uh, but by the way, about 80% of America doesn't want to have a blank check supporting Ukraine. So I have no problem with that. But it's going to be back right around Christmas time. So right around Christmas time and the Christmas economy and all that stuff, we're going to have this whole dangled shutdown back again because we're just doing a continuing resolution. Now, Matt Gates, let's let's dig into this. Why does Matt Gates want to get rid of Speaker McCarthy? Well, you know, some some of the the rhetoric might suggest, well, he's just not conservative enough. He's not a real, we're, we're this Liberty Caucus. We are, you know, we really mean what we say, uh, which is sort of asinine because McCarthy is the end game from this post-Boehner, you know, sort of Tea Party takeover that, 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 that happened all the way back when he was ousted as Speaker. And th th this Liberty Caucus, which is, you know, a different new far-right thing, has had a very good relationship with him, which is one of the reasons that, you know, people like uh, Congressman Jim Jeffries, uh, uh, or not Jim Jeffries, I'm sorry. Jordan. Jim Jordan, um, Congressman Roy, and all these really far-right, you know, Tea Party-type mm -hmm. Republicans did not join the vote to oust McCarthy because they've had a very good transactional relationship with him. They've been able to extract more in terms of results from him than they've had in leverage in, in any real way. So they've kind of been like, hey, this has been fine. This is, which part of my problem with these fringe elements, whether they be on the left and the right, and look, you can say what you want about the politics of the far left, which I, and when we say far left, we'll say new far left, uh, which, I, which I tend not to agree with at all. They don't really leverage it. If you think back to, when their when their voters and their activists were pushing, you know, people uh, in the progressive caucus to do the force to vote, and what that was was when they had control of the house, force a floor, floor vote of Medicare for all, so that look, is it going to pass? No, 
Are you going to get it? No. Well, then why do it is a question. Make every Democrat vote for it. If they say, well, I'd be, I'd be for it if it could pass. Okay, we'll just come out and vote for it. Let's see it. And the reality is too many of them are taking money from the pharmaceutical and healthcare industrial complex, and they're not going to vote in favor for it. They're going to get right back in line like they do every time. So the whole force to vote thing was thrown away. And the, you know, whatever you're going to call it, the progressive caucus, the left wing of the Democratic Party, they've been completely ineffectual in Congress. They've gotten pretty much nothing. Now, what I don't, and, you know, that's difficult, but when you're a minority, it's it's really hard in a democratic system to get a lot of what you want if you don't have a lot of representatives in the system. Now, you can argue that a lot of what the Progressive Caucus wants is very popular with America. A public option is very popular with a majority of Americans. A $15 an hour minimum wage, that passed in Florida when Republicans were winning statewide at like 70%. That's very popular. Uh, there are a number of issues that they are the only ones fighting for that do have popularity with the American public. And it's unfortunate that the more empowered Democrats won't actually show up for those sort of issues. Now that said, what, what really troubles me with the far right is this idea that you should use this gamesmanship to implement what I call the tyranny of the minority, which is to say that even if only 20% of Americans support this, we want to use this gamesmanship to get 100% of what we want because it's right. It's somehow more American or it's more you know worthy and, and, and it's fighting off this evil of, of socialism or whatever that's coming towards us and it must be done. We must take, you know, pull out all stops and get this. That's just too close to fascism to me. You yeah. know, that's the whole idea that like, well, you know, we don't have the votes for it, but let's figure out how to do it. It's kind of like with the, the you know, if you go back to the abortion issue and before Roe v. Wade was overturned, it was like, well, how can we do it through regulation then? If we don't have the votes for it, if we can't get legislation, how can we do it by, you know, putting these overly burdensome, uh, you know, health, uh, like hospital level, how wide your, your hallways have to be type things in these clinics. We'll do it from the state level. This whole idea of tyranny, tyranny of the minority and saying that, yes, we understand that most Americans don't want this, but they just don't understand. And we, we have to do it because it's right anyway. That's one tiny step away from saying, if we have to suspend people's liberties and freedoms in order to give them what we know is right and they don't agree with, then that's what we have to do. And that frightens me to no end. Mm -hmm. So that's what I see with this and this gamesmanship of we're not getting enough where as I see the, the Liberty Caucus was, again, even if I don't agree with most of what they're asking for or any of it, they were doing a good incremental job of transactionally working with McCarthy to say, we'll give you this for that. And like I said, I think they were getting more than the actual leverage they had, but they were playing rough enough in order to, to do that. And I don't have a political problem with that. What I do have the problem with is the idea that this isn't coming from the right and not getting enough, which is why you have the people like Roy and Jeffries and everybody, um, or uh, Jim Jordan. Jim Jordan. Um, Jim, why do you keep forgetting his name? He's Jim, a very memorable individual. Right? Jim Jeffries was uh, like the second or third heavyweight champion in history. I don't know why I'm, <laughs> I'm bringing that up. Um, the, the name sticking there. But they're saying, hey, what are you doing? And the implication among Washington insiders is what he's doing is he's punishing McCarthy on a personal level because McCarthy didn't help enough with his ethics investigation. So if you guys, again, Gates is under investigation for these shenanigans with young girls that he's, you know, flying around the country to do whatever with, and he's under House ethics investigation, which is kind of, from what I understand, a very closed process, very tight-lipped, and it's very hard to get a read on where that's going. And my understanding is he didn't feel that, that uh, McCarthy was doing enough to protect him because almost everybody, I mean, I'd call it the worst kept secret in Florida Republican politics is that Gates is planning on running for governor. Should the opportunity arise, right? Right, which it will either, I mean, I don't see it arising because the Senate gets elected president, but after the Senate's a second term and he doesn't want to do it and this is After something and, and this is something that McCarthy has made public that it is his belief that that is why he claims he has receipts 
He um, says, I have the text messages to prove it. This is personal. Now, when he just said this is personal, then the speculation, including in Republican insiders, is, well, this goes to the rumor that he was pushing them on the ethics issue. So that's what we'll see. And here, here's the part that makes me believe that, is there's, look, Gates, Gates is, to me, a dangerous demagogue because he doesn't seem to have any core beliefs. He seems to be one of these people that is just out for himself to elevate himself, to get in front of a camera, to get time on Fox News and Newsmax and get more Newsmax lately and, and uh, sort of out in the fringe than anywhere else, but to get his little soundbite and elevate his own profile. And there's really doesn't seem to be a lot of coherency to it. And one of the things he asked for or, or insinuated was one of the reasons for this was he wanted to get rid of these CRs, con, uh, continuing resolutions, and do everything by regular order. So what that means is that instead of having this kind of blanket resolution that funds broadly, I want every single thing to come through on regular order and be voted on individually. And I want to cut spending entitlements with a, with just a, an ax. I want, I, I want, you know, huge deficit cuts. I want huge spending cuts, huge entitlement cuts. Now, the problem with this is those two things, and again, I know I'm getting wonky, particularly if you don't follow Congress, but it's important to kind of understand this. Those two things are completely opposite of each other. You would never, ever, ever ask for an end to continue res resolutions and broad spending cuts because you can't get it that way. You have to horse trade and everything. If everything comes through regular order, in order to get votes, that, that's how you end up with higher spending. CRs, what, if you just wanted, and again, I'm, I'm not advocating for this, if you just wanted to take a hatchet to the federal budget, a CR is probably the best way to do it because you're basically saying, here's the number, now go ahead and make the math work. This is the most we will spend fun from here to here to get things done. So, you know, there's going to have to be cuts. You make the decisions. That's the hardest. That's the easiest way to do it. The hardest way to do it is to individually say, I want a majority of people to, to or and in some cases, a super majority to agree on a whole bunch of individual things, which never happens as we know, because, and again, I'll give you an example. For 15 years, we got rid of earmarks in Congress where you didn't have this pork barrel technique where you could say, oh, I'm going to earmark all these things that have nothing to do with this actual supposed bill. Right. We got rid of it for 15 years and federal spending went up at a, roughly the same rates. It just got done a different way. It didn't cut spending at all because the problem with all of it, folks, is that one person's pork is another person's payday. It means Republican or Democrat, I'm bringing it back to my district. You cut it out. My district isn't getting the bacon I used to bring home. I don't get reelected unless I bring home the bacon so no, I'm not in favor of cutting this. Yes, I'll cut everything else, but not this. But you have everybody having a this, and right. that's why all that happens is spending grows. So the idea that you want to get rid of CRs and you want to drastically cut the deficit and federal spending, it's just it's it's completely incompatible. There's no intellectual thread there to to make that coherent. So that's 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 interesting. All right. And that's uh, why I bring that up is because you're going to see that right down the line to what we're going to talk about in local politics today, which is the same exact thing is happening on the local level. And I know you follow this a lot closely and you've uh, dialed me into some of these local conservative groups and Republican groups that are really upset because they're starting to find out that everything we told them was true for the last six years <laughs> is completely true. Well, I don't know about six years because I, I got here more recent than that. But uh, yeah, it's it's been really interesting. And I, I think that the, the, the reporting that we ran, well, we ran it early. We ran it on Friday uh, and mainly because we were getting a lot of requests from people in the public saying, you know, have you seen this group and they're sending out texts and they've got a Facebook page and here's the kind of messaging they're doing and who's behind it? Who are they? Do you know anything? Can you, and if you don't, can you go find out? And as you know, at that time I was working on already doing that. Um, and then it just seemed like we hit this fever pitch where I think when certain individuals in the community, citizens, and then 
citizens who are involved, like you said, in, in these kind of pocket right groups, um, one of which is a Liberty Caucus group here locally. Um, and they saw the tangible evidence and felt confident enough to say, eh, the jig is up. Like, this is irrefutable. This is what's going on, and this isn't really conservatism in my mind. This isn't what this is supposed to be about, and and I don't condone this. Um, boy, then it just, like, shot through the roof. Then all of a sudden we saw, you know, Commissioner Bearden had, well, well then they put out the whole thing about Waterkeeper yes. versus Soros. And interesting. So I, I want you to tell us a little bit more about that because what I'm going to tee that up with is this is what always happens to these kind of movements, these tyranny of the minority movements in which they say, we want to get our way, we're right, even though there's not a lot of us and this is a democracy. What ends up happening is they get co-opted by the special interests themselves, reband it, repackaged, everybody's head gets spun around, and then... The definition of what these things are, whether it's conservatism, liberty, whatever word you want to use, is a quickly moving target that nobody can can keep their hand on or even their eyes on, except the people writing the checks and controlling things at the top who are the ones that are constantly defining those things. Well, and I think, <clears throat> excuse me, I think where, where the real uh, friction came from was this real the manatee county real conservatives had had put out a, a couple of things mostly it was all just um promotional materials for six commissioners they were conveniently <laughs> putting commissioner cruz on his island over I, there. I believe the whole name was made up to constantly remind you <laughs> yes and um up until they took on the issue over the wetland vote right up until they and and so the, and this is my point there let me just interject this my point is that when it starts to all fall apart like we're seeing now mm -hmm. what ends up happening is the snake starts eating its tail until it becomes a full circle and then you get to some place where what you have to say in order to justify the obvious special interest Mm -hmm. nonsense that's not starting now but is right. continuing right through it you have to get into the, I, I would argue we've been into the, <laughs> the absurd for four years three four years now but you have to get to something so silly that even the most like uh dogmatically i wake up every morning and salute those six people have to say hey wait a minute i'm not sure if i even believe this and that's where I think we got with the water keepers. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. And so, you know, that really, as as many, I would argue, many local policy, local governance issues are, it, it's a nonpartisan issue. And so you have people who care about clean water who are all variety and none of political orientation, if you will, or, or partisanship. Um, and so they're already was prior to this group showing up and going a little bit ham on Facebook with this George Soros allegation, um, which, which is, I mean, that whole premise is, is silly anyways, because it's just, it, it seems what they're trying to do this. And, and again, they, so that is the real conservatives of Manatee County, who is a person named Jennings DePriest who owns an LLC called Top Lobster. Top Lobster has worked before with Sim Wins to help trash opposing candidates that were Pettisini's candidates in 2022. And back in 2022, some of the people who are now being targeted by these same people who are conservatives by all rights and are being told, no, you're actually a liberal and a communist and a rhino. Um, back then in 22 when they didn't realize or maybe they did realize i don't i mean who knows what when they were okay with that messaging they were okay with things mm -hmm. that these people were putting out um but i'm kind of losing my train of thought here but the 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 idea that what what they're the messaging kind of is it is very clumsy it's like well how, how can it not water <laughs> the water keepers is Soros backed, right? So they are definitely a scary democratic plot. But by the time you get to Soros, also, by the time you get to Soros on a local issue, I think you've already lost. But go ahead. Also, 
you might be hearing from people who say that they're conservatives and maybe they're even affiliated with what you thought were conservative groups, or they might even be in the REC, but all of those are definitely wolves in sheep clothing who are actually closet Democrats. Who have infiltrated our... Who are infiltrating yeah. our group in order to cause us to fight amongst ourselves. And then amazingly, and this is a whole nother thing that happened over the last several days, which we can touch on, but there's another right, what do they call themselves? The conservative voice of Manatee County online news publication, this this Manatee Herald. Yes. Um, and, uh, and a, a blatant propaganda outlet that seems to exist wholly to support the status quo of these right, and, and And it went so far as to um, Bob Spencer, who's publisher of it, I guess is what you, he owns. He's, I think he's a one man show at this point. Yes. Um, he went ahead and put out a piece and essentially said to speaking again to, I guess the conservatives in Manatee County, what he's selling you is that here's the thing. They're trying to get on the inside and they're trying to spook you with the word developer. Let us remind you. Democrats are in bed with developers in cities that Democrats control, and that's why everything's a hot mess over in those cities. But here in Manatee County, we are fortunate as conservatives because our developers are different, and they're giving their money to Republican candidates who... I don't know. I mean, answer the next, answer the next I, part. I saw it. It was, it was extremely... Like, just pro, crazy pro developer. It, now, now, here's the pretzel. Right, it's pretzel a logic. pretzel. Here's <laughs> the uh, here's here's the irony, and and I get that most of the people, to be very honest with you, the vast majority of the names, faces, and voices I see in this conservative movement, Manatee mm -hmm. County, mm -hmm. were not here politically active in 2010, 2011. Mm -hmm. um, the 2010 Tea Party wave which historically, when you go back and look at it, it's not nearly what people sort of romanticize it to be. That was a kind of a media creation, really by corporate media uh, and more left-leaning publications that wanted to explain the massive drop-off from President Obama's historic victory in 2008, particularly because it was the, and again, I'll remind people of, of how, really uh, just unlikely and, and rare this was. 2008, the youth vote, voters under 30, outvoted the senior vote for the first and only time in American history in a major election. Hmm. Off year, uh, by major election, I mean like off year congressional, uh, anything other than, you know, a local referendum, right? So it was, it was an historic mobilization of the youth vote. So in 2010, the, the narrative was that this Tea Party grassroots uh, popular up uprising, which did exist, but that it swept through the country and led to this, you know, historic victory for Republicans in the House. Uh, well, actually throughout Congress, but particularly in the House. Obama lost the House, um, and everybody said it was this, this you know, new coming of conservatism. Now, the reality, if you look at it more from a historical perspective, and in fact, I was writing it at that time, was that it's just simply not true. The reality is, if you had a historic reversal of senior and youth vote, it's going to be problematic in the first midterm. Why? Because historically, the youth vote is absolutely lowest in midterms, like shamefully. Like it's always been a real problem in our democracy, I believe, is that a lot of people under 30 tune in for president and they don't tune in for Congress. They don't turn in, tune in for local elections. They, they, they don't thread it all together. And I get it. I get that. That was me for, yeah. forever. And I understand that. And, and again, I have to all, always remove myself and say, look, you're, you're a political journalist. It's your job to be. And 
you obviously had a passion to go to school for this. You enjoy public policy. Mm -hmm. you, you can't compare yourself to somebody, you know, working in a bank and saying, you know, well, I voted for president, but, and particularly when you're under 30 and you don't have a house yet, mm -hmm. you know, certainly not now in, in the current economy, but I mean, that's historically usually true. You often don't have kids in school yet. Uh, you're not butting up against the local government mm -hmm. in a way that you do once you have children and you're a homeowner and you're paying property taxes, you're starting to see it a little more clearly. And so I'm, I'm not, not gonna completely you know crap on that, but my point is, is that it should have been no surprise that was gonna be a problem. If, you're, if your electoral victory in 2008 was built on this flip, and then on top of it, to be fair, same critique I'll give of President Biden, is Obama did very, very, very little in those first two years to act on the promises that he made to the youth vote, which is exactly gonna be the same problem for President Biden this time on the student loans alone, is that he promised that, that, right. that he would get that across. That promise isn't gonna be kept by the time he comes up for reelection. And if he can try to match his youth vote from last time by trying to explain it away, that's that's gonna be a fun trick. But I'll, I'll give the same thing for Obama is I don't think he gave him, a, they bought into the hope and change and all these things that were gonna happen Roe v. Wade, and then 2009, Obama comes out and says, well, that's not my highest priority. He said, I, we need to codify Roe v. Wade so that a woman's right to choose will never be subject to another Supreme Court decision. And then 2009, he was asked about it. He said, yeah, I got, I got other things on my table. He became completely obsessed with Obamacare and that being his legacy. And a lot of those people were like, yeah, I'd like healthcare, but I'd also like a lot of the other which, the which by the things. Way, which, by the way, has just been a, a wavering pipe dream that every party Yes. Every leader we've had since, well, I mean, it gets Obama to Trump, but nonetheless, that's all we've heard is we're going to fix health care. We're going to fix medical prices. We're going to make sure everybody has access. We're going to get a fair. And none of that has happened by for, anybody for a very simple reason is that both parties get way too much money. Republicans are thick as thieves with the hospital, the providers right. in the hospital companies. Democrats are thick as thieves with the insurance companies and, and big pharma. And um, big pharma is really as bipartisan as you get because I was going to say, so I think, I think now they are. Historically, sweeping. historically it wasn't, but now they just have so much money. They're like, I'm going to make it rain, right? <laughs> bipartisan. Um, so, but one thing I, to switch it back to uh, what's well, happening. Hold on. Let, let's, okay. just, let's just pull that through real quick. So what happened in 2010 here that was unique. So again, I was just explaining the history of mm -hmm. the Tea Party is not quite what they make it out to be. Most of the actual Tea Party candidates did not win. They they used it to say, well, that's how Rubio, Rubio distanced himself from the Tea Party. He wouldn't get on stage with Sarah Palin in Orlando. I was there, I remember it. His people made sure she was off stage by the time he came on. He didn't want to be associated with her. She lost in 2010. Everybody she endorsed lost pretty much uh, that asked for her endorsement. Um, so it wasn't as successful. It, was a Republican wave. And again, that tends to happen in a president's first midterm. Mm -hmm, right. And given the dynamics of the youth vote, it should have been slightly more. And that's all it really was. It wasn't really the bloodbath that, that people make it out. My point is, is that having been a columnist for the Brighton Times during that moment, um, what I found very interesting was our local Tea Party, which did wake up and shake up the REC and local politics, that grew out of Mixon's fruit farms and and really Janet Mixon and her husband. And, you know, look, I'm not gonna say it was a ideologically, it was mostly we don't wanna pay taxes and we don't like immigrants. It was, there, there wasn't a whole lot of like heft to the, to the, you know, the orthodoxy of that point. But the one thing that the Tea Party, and they were some of our biggest readers, and that's a year into our, our publication, they were some of our biggest readers because they were on board with, we are tired of developers owning this Republican party right. and, uh, and our so-called conservatives just doing whatever they want and giving us the rhetoric in the, in the direct mail pieces and telling us how conservative they are, but then they just go and hand over everything to developers and now we have all this. 2010, they're talking about all this traffic, all this overdevelopment, lack of infrastructure because you're just giving the developers whatever they want at the expense of the rest of the community and we're tired of it. No more developer puppets was the call of the Tea Party going into the 2012 election. Very interesting. Right? Now, 2016 was where that all changed. And I will give an immense amount of credit to particularly to Carlos Baruf with help from Pat Neal, but particularly to Carlos Baruf and I'm sure the political consultants. Um, I, I, I can't 100% say who was who in, in all this. Uh, although if you if you 
take it to Baruf's um, Senate run. You can kind of get another glimpse of it. But what Baruf did was he took the Trump momentum. Mm -hmm. So here you have a guy coming in who's a what? A developer, <laughs> rich, not real ideological, mostly just I'll play with anybody as long as I get my way, and says all the things they want to hear on those cultural things. Mm-hmm. And then Baruf gets the idea and says, hey, I can mobilize that energy again by associating all my candidates, not with me, not with any, Trump. Who's the Trumpier? And that's what we saw in 2020. 18, 2020, 2022, but 2020 and 2022 the most. We started seeing it in 18 where let's attack from within. Let's primary people who are, by any metric you would imagine, conservative, and say, well, they're not real conservatives. And then they actually had to help with COVID and all of the people on the far right, right that got really hung up in the COVID theater and whether, you know, the toothless mask mandate where not one single person was ever forced to wear a mask out in public in any way. Nobody was ever arrested. There was no <laughs> shutdown of anything from the local government. We keep hearing that. And it's like the only time anything was shut was during Ron DeSantis's safer at home order. And that still had a million, you know, loopholes in it that like you could literally do anything. I never during COVID was unable to do one thing, one thing that, that in some way in Florida outside, maybe the first couple weeks, it was this whole thing that we just shut down and, and had to wear a mask everywhere. And, and that theater was well, mobilized. Gy gyms were closed for a while. They did close down gyms. That's what I'm saying. Rob. Outside the very short period of time, but right. even then, you weren't locked in your house because you're, one of the loopholes in DeSantis right. was anything that was recreation walk. or exercise. Right, and that was down to like taking a kayak, going for a hike, you know, right. riding your bike, you know, all kinds of things. And again, from the start, the sheriff's office said we don't have the resources nor the inclination to arrest anybody. Well, for and now, now that's a that's a part of revisionist history in all of this too, because if you go back and I've done so because I wanted to know for myself and look at the timelines between those executive orders you're talking about and there were a gazillion that mm -hmm. came after and revised and opened little bits here and there and kept restrictions over here. The issue with the curfew here and where it came from and what instigated that was in one of those executive orders down the road from Ron DeSantis, as you're saying, said that recreation was allowed, right? And that, and that people could go for walks and they could even go to the beach. However, it also in that language says, I'm leaving it to the local governments who need to ensure that if people are going to go to the beach, if people are going to go out on their boats and hang out on a sandbar somewhere, it's being done safely. if they're going to the park, then it is your responsibility to make sure there is never a group greater than 10 people and everybody's six foot right. apart, right? Because that's where we were at at that point. Yes. And so he literally, in his executive order, tells local municipalities, right. you have to make sure that they're following the rules. And then furthermore, it is written toward the citizenry by him and his executive order. I wish I knew the number off the top of my head. But it says citizens should follow what the local government says. And if they say your beaches are closed, go the hell home because you're obviously not following the rules, which the ground rules we're saying is six foot distance, no groups greater than 10. At the point at which the curfew came in Manatee County, I remember I was watching the meetings every day because I was sitting at home. Um, I didn't have a job at the time. I was a stay-at-home mom. And I was very curious about what was happening here and how was it being handled and what supplies did we have? What were our needs, you know? And my understanding, based on what was said by the officials of public safety and the county's health department at the time was Dr. Bensey. I don't know if it's still mm -hmm. Dr. Bensey was that, and again, this is a very, like you're saying, it, it, it's a pocket of time. It didn't last a long right. time. But at that point, this is when Delta was surging, hospitals were overflowed, and remember too, the rules at this time were, if you were exposed to someone who had COVID, even if you didn't have symptoms, you were supposed to go home for like 10 days right. and never like show your face anywhere. 
Um, so we were losing workers. We were losing particularly first responders. We were short on EMS because what is EMS? What do they do? They come to your house with an ambulance. They pick you up. You have COVID. They've taken you and now they've been exposed to COVID and now they have to be isolated. And so we're losing first responders. Same thing was happening with the police department because they're the ones on the street pulling over cars. And that was one of the reasons that the sheriff gave in terms of like, we're not going to be arresting people because we're not trying to get interaction. but, But what I'm trying to say with you is that came later. That came later in the argument of the curfew. When the curfew was first proposed and recommended by public safety staff, what the reason it was requested was because we've spoken with the sheriff. We keep track of all the numbers. No, no, no I understand that. They're still going to have to engage with people. I'm just saying that that's why that even though it was implemented, it was not really enforced. There was never one person fined for being out after curfew. Not one single person in the right. entire county. Right. No, it was a measure to try and dissuade yes, people. Yes, and that was my point, was that, look, your liberties are not being taken away. Correct. You could really, you can just... And the, and the problem was There this. were people that were still like, look, there were too many people coming up and yelling at the board in front of that plexiglass of all the things they can't do without being able to cite anything that they couldn't do. And what they're really saying was, I don't want the government to tell me what to do, even if they're not going to make me do it. And that's my point was that was all just theater. Well, I mean, they were, certainly people were super pissed off about the uh, boat ramps. Boat ramp closure. And Uh and listen, you can make the argument that the science didn't support the regulations that were coming all the way from the CDC down at the time. You can make the argument that in the beginning, you know, caution was, was prudent and, when you don't know, you don't know. Do I think we were slow to get along on a lot of things? Do I think Florida did a lot of things right in terms of saying, okay, we're seeing now that, you know, person-to-person transmission outside in the heat is is almost non-existent. We're seeing this, we're seeing that. We're seeing that the vast majority of complications are with people with elderly and, and different, uh, uh, you know, pre-existing conditions. So I, I don't want to relitigate the whole thing on policy. And I'm certainly as... Anybody well, and I'm and I'm not. It's right for me. I'm certainly not defending the COVID policy from the top down. Okay, hear me out though, because I'm going somewhere with this. The that revisionist history around, and this goes to what you're talking about about. Oh well, they were able to take hold sure. of the pandemic situation and turn it into more messaging and realive, you know, this anger in the populace. That original request for the the curfew to be put in place came from first uh, responders, i.e. the sheriff initially also wanted yes, it. And yes. the argument was the the governor is asking people to stay home. People aren't staying home or or enough people are And aren't. we're not going to have enough workers to service the Right, the well, well, well. Because they're going to be n- n- quarantined. No, but also, hold on, let me finish. The, the, the problem was because a lot of people were staying home, the people who weren't staying home a good percentage of those were like, it's freedom out here. The streets are open. Nobody's on it. And they're doing like drag racing and crap, right? Creating a hazard that might cause more EMS, more police to have to respond. So that was the point of the curfew. And you're right. Later, it ends up being like, well, we're not really reinforcing it. You can get rid of it thing. But that group we have right now and, and this, this real conservatives of manatee, and top lobster that is pushing out these text messages, this this depressed character. These are the same entities, granted it wasn't called the real conservatives of Manatee back then, that were pushing out the messages that, like you said, were blaming local measures as though it was the commissioners, any of the commissioners, in and of themselves, who just came up with this idea out of the blue to say, hey, we should really get a curfew. That'd be fun. Hey, let's shut down the boat ramps. That'd be fun. And then furthermore, they credited them altogether with shutting down the economy, which you and I both know, not only was it not that, they don't have the power to do that. And uh, and so here we are. And, and it's I think it's a little bit more blatant now. Well, what you have, though, the larger point is that that allowed the election to become about national mm-hmm. things again yep so you had this and if you go back to good god we could talk about the publisher of this publication in 2012 joe mcclash who was as you know 
deeply conservative as a commissioner as you could possibly imagine, you know, pro-life, uh, you know, low taxes, small government, uh, not letting the, the state impose, you know, as well on, on small government, traditional conservative values all the way was tied to, well, he's an Obama Republican, he's an Obama, secret Obama Democrat. And that's when that started. <laughs> and that's my point was after the Tea Party, that energy started. How do we tie this into national energy? So these people that are upset right now about their Republican Party, I'm sorry, but you're to blame because you keep falling for that over and over and over where they tell you this election's about socialism and, and these conservatives and the Bradenton Times has been telling you since its inception, it's really about who, which developers are stuffing the pockets. We're not, anyone who thinks that we're either our intention or, or our ability is to turn Manatee County Democrat. It ain't going to happen. That's the most absurd thing I've ever heard. It's, it's ridiculous. Manatee County is, is solemnly Republican, more so in recent years. I don't see that changing during my lifetime. And it's really mostly about who's going to be the Republicans that are there. And we've been telling everybody since our inception, hey, this Republican is a grassroots. This is their background. This is the, you know, uh, hey, Matt Bauer, he's a Republican. He's uh, uh, an Iraq and Afghanistan veteran. He, he's, you know, a, a successful business person. You know, he, he has been in the right side of the, you know, he, he made his bones kind of with long bar point as a fishing boat captain and saying, you know, this is gonna be really bad for our waters. That's mm -hmm. bad for local businesses. Um, he doesn't have much money. You're not gonna hear much from him. This other clown has his pockets completely full by a developer. He's done nothing, has the paper thin resume. He was a, you know, GT Bray recreation employee, you know, very recently. He's a realtor who's apparently made no money during like some of the fattest real estate times you can get into. <clears throat> Hey, this is what's going to happen if he gets elected. And we've done that down the line. And in fact, what's what's strange, and that's why like when you see some of the lines has changed, we've been doing it before it's been getting worse. We 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 said it about other commissioners that then were later targeted it. You know, we we weren't supportive of let's say Carol Whitmore, Misty Servia, uh Betsy Banak, because they took a lot of money from developers and they mostly voted with developers far too often than we thought was prudent. On things like not, well, they have land rights and they can do what they want on comprehensive land use changes, on density giveaways, on not charging full impact fees. And we consistently said, hey, we'd like to see Democrat or Republicans, but it's going to be Republican. We'd like to see the Republicans that are running against them have an opportunity to break with developers pushing things. What really changed more than anything was back then. The development cabal, and I'll, I'll really lay this on Baruf because I don't really think Neil is as motivated by the ideological issues. He's a former Democrat. He just seems to really want to just make his money and build his houses and, and take it from wherever it comes from. But Baruf then got this idea that, well, I, I want to get involved in other things. I want to get involved in like, who's the county administrator? I want to, I, I want to pick them. I want to be able to say, uh, uh, you know, about the, the Confederate monument or any of these red meat issues that he... You'll see him, you know, in his Senate campaign and everything else, he's clearly very ideological that way. And he wanted to be able to intercede himself and get a hundred percent of you want not, you know, the, the old rules, but they get about eight and 10 of the things they asked for. And then it became, you give me 10 and 10 or you're dead to me. And then you started to see these thinner resume candidates because you can get people from the development community that if they're planners, if they're builders, if they're subcontract, they're probably have an ethos of pro-development. How do we get this done? How do we get this done within the rules? How do we maybe bend the rules a little bit? How do we, eh, we give away a couple of giveaways here and there. You're going to do pretty good that way. Now, if you say, I want to get everything, you got to go down the line a little bit. You're going to have to get somebody. Right, with, because the, because I, I would think, and, and again, you're talking about a period of time where I, not only was I not here, I was not paying attention to local politics. So I really can't speak to sadly, because I was that person you were criticizing before about not getting how important your local government is and understanding what's going on and participating in those elections. Um, but it seems to me that uh, planners and you're looking at educated people. You're still trying to work with 
commissioners who are coming, like you said, from a background, they have a resume, they, they, they have some free thought and logic perhaps, and, and sure, might they agree with because they are pro-development, you can convince them on this thing or this thing, but the, the maybe the, the worst of your desires you're not going to get a free pass on that or and even or ethics. or even if you might be able to squeak out a yes vote because they know they're they're going to be you know punished in their elections or or on the the small side of the majority or whatever they're going to talk a lot mm-hmm. before yes yes they push that vote to make it clear what their concerns are and give the opportunity for what is supposed to be qualified staff experts to weigh in um, to try and, you know, so clearly that's not been enough. So now we have this system in which over two cycles, they were able to get people that understood the game and it was, you'll get a phone call, might not be from the person that signs a check, might be for one of the people he signs checks to, telling you what to do, or you're going to text or you get something like that. We'll all be on board. There'll be no discussion and everybody better vote right every time. And the game they've run along with it is what we're going to do is, and we warned about this. I have a column that I looked at yesterday from something you sent me because I knew that it sounded familiar. And I warned about this with the new board in which I said, here's what you're going to get. You're going to get red meat issues. I didn't predict the wetland one. I did not think they would be that bold. But I said, you're going to get things like Second Amendment sanctuary. You're going to get things like uh, uh, abortion, right bans, to life right. sanctuary. You're going to get things like you know, Confederate monument talk. You're going to get all, all this red meat nonsense. What this new one, Bill of Rights County, right? You're going to get a bunch of this red meat nonsense that's going to suck up a lot of the political energy. And they're going to throw these ones out there that they know they're going to get all these groups riled up with. They're going to show up and give comment and they're going to sneak in the back door the comp plan rewrite that we knew they were that was coming up. They're going to sneak in the land development code. They're going to sneak in redoing impact fees. All those things are going to benefit from the political energy kind of being absorbed through these national things. And that's the real problem. So when people ask like, hey, you know, I saw those people are sharing your article and there's, I don't get that excited to be honest because I know they're gonna get fooled again. I know that they're only one step away from, yes, we've been telling you this the whole time. We told you before it was gonna happen. We laid it out each and every time that it wasn't the right thing. Until they turned their attention on you and said you weren't a real conservative and you were a rhino, you didn't wanna listen to it. We told you long before it happened, we gave you all the receipts. We didn't just tell you so that you could think we're some wackos. We showed you where all the money came from. We showed you the projects those people had approved, the projects they wanted to get approved, and we said, hey, this is what they're gonna do if they get their people in, and these are their people. Can I ask you, uh, so prior to my kind of tuning in 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 2019, previously in your work covering this board and watching the local government and the previous commissions, did ideological issues like this come up before? Was this That started in like the 2010. That was when it really became big. I mean, no, the ideological difference was small. And it was always six Democrats and one Republican in the, or excuse me, six Republicans and one Democrat in the whole modern era, you know, and they only got the, to go back and see something different was when it was Dixiecrats and Democrats were basically the same as Republicans now. But did the they South. spend time doing things no, that not at were all. like not, not in all. any way related to local? Like not it's at all. one thing to ideologically argue about a local policy because you say you've got this conviction based on in your fact, politics. I remember once Joe McClash broke with Republicans because he was one of the few that thought that the Iraq war nonsense was BS and that we were being lied to and we were. We were being marched into this thing under the guise of, of uh, uh, you know. Weapons of mass destruction. And all this stuff. And, and it was very easy to see if you look beyond the, the whole patriotic post 9-11 moment that we were being lied to. He wanted to do at one point a continuing resolution just basically saying we, we as a county don't support it. And the other, first of all, they were like, that's George Bush. And then secondly, it was, we just don't, think that's something we're a local government we have nothing to do with that that was such an ethos then that it's amazing that, how yes. many letters have we sent to right? the governor and nationally moody so and- no it was completely and that was even late in the in the you know in the, in the war time uh it wasn't you know in 2003 or anything like that it was closer to 2010 uh from my recollection I, I apologize joe if i got any of that uh history wrong but the real 
thing there was no, it wasn't. And that's my point. So when I hear things like the people in the same group saying, Hey, yeah, we're with you now. Uh, you should, you know, you should write about this, this and this. And then I also see them say things like, look what they're doing. The uh, Pettuccini and them are they're using the tricks of Biden and the Democrats the, way, the same way they do against right. Trump. And it's like, <laughs> no, you dummy. They're using Trump's own trick. Trump's whole thing, his whole four years was, you agree with everything I say and say nice things about me or, or else you're a rhino and you're you. dead to me. And I right. will do nothing but abuse you. I'll troll you on Twitter. I will troll you on social media everywhere I can. I'll call you, make fun of you, call you names, and, mm. and you'll be out of the cool club unless you give me everything. And I don't care if it's not conservative. I don't care if it's going to blow up the deficit. I don't care if it's not, not going to work. I don't care. And he gave you the same thing. He gave you red meat. He said, build the wall, build the wall. We're not really worried about the wall. Let's get the tax cut. Let's make sure corporations like mine, let's make sure developers get a whole bunch of goodies in, in the anti-regulatory bag. So all of those things were happening. You're not recognizing that that's the trick. And I'm not saying the Democrats don't have the trick. The same thing happens in San Francisco. The same thing happens in Los Angeles. You see it all the time. When you have one party rule, it becomes about, well, I'm more of that than you are. And as long as I can say it the loudest, which means with the most money, I'll always win. And then as a result, we'll get more extreme until the point where we're defending things like with the totally batshit crazy, like, Soros is, is funding the uh, waterkeeper because he wants to turn Manhattan County Socialist, which again makes my head want to explode because George Soros is a multi-billionaire, one of the richest people in the world. I don't believe he's doing it. So at the end of the whole, like what, what is he trying to do? Get all the money in the world, stack it all up in one corner and say, now we're all communists. <laughs> I've done it. Right. <laughs> I've got he's... every dollar. I'm giving it all away and <laughs> back to the, no, he's a capitalist. Is Does he... It's the boogeyman. It's it's Goldstein yes. from 1984. Whether it's the left saying it's oh, it's all the Koch brothers, it's all the Koch brothers, or the, the right saying it's all Soros, it's all Soros. They're just a bunch of billionaires trying to make money. And yes, they have they give a lot of money away. So you're going to be able to trace something to them because they, they 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 fund an awful lot of things. And yes, they like to move things ideologically in their direction. And George Soros is absolutely trying to make a more capitalist but neoliberal society with the things he invests in the same way the Cokes are trying to have a more neoconservative industrialist form of capitalist society. There is nobody trying, well, there's nobody with any power whatsoever trying to turn America socialist. There are certainly socialists here, but they have not, they, they had way more power a hundred years ago than they have today. And they are the progressive left Capitalist doesn't even have power to do anything in today's government. And the, the end thing that I think all of us have to come to is we don't fix this until we go back to, hey, put that stuff away. You know, talk about that in your, your groups, have your whatever about national politics. But when it comes down to local politics, that doesn't really matter. We don't have abortion clinics here. And even if it's still the state law, the federal law, whatever it is, that's not the problem of the local government to solve. It's not the problem of the local government to root out George Soros and Waterkeeper. It's I'm pretty sure if we asked George Soros, so what do you think about Manatee County? He'd be like, Manatee who? <laughs> you know, like it's it's wild that again, there is one specific group of individuals, small group of individuals who I think like you have well laid out is invested in seeing regulation around wetland buffer requirements rolled back. Yes. And the people that you see show up to the meeting and you see on social media and, and sending tons of emails and they're making public comment and they're saying, please don't do this. Those are regular citizens, the vast majority of them, from all political spectrum because they understand and they're seeking information and it's irrefutable what this might mean if this happens going forward. And they don't have anything to benefit, okay? They're not going to make money if the commission says, you know what, you're right, we'll stick with what we've got. They're not, the only thing they have to stay in to gain is the same protections they've already gotten, which, by the way, they Aren't got, working. <laughs> which they got from also a conservative board. Right, right. Well, not a real conservative board. Well, clearly not, because there are oh, there are only five of those in this county and anymore. Again, I can't stress this enough. The water quality issues we're having are under the rules we're about to get rid of and eviscerate. Yes. Yes. So, if you need, call it you know anecdotal. 
But if you think water's doing good in Manatee County right now, then I guess roll the dice with rolling back protections. But if you have your eyes open and you've been to the beach and you've got water anywhere you're in the house, you've seen it, you've seen the lingbia piled up and you know about the cyanobacterias and you've seen the, all of it, you'd know that we have to really go in the opposite direction. And, and nobody's even asking that because you know you're not going to get it. You know you're not going to get developers to let these people give you 100-foot wetland buffers when it's adjacent to a waterway, which is what we really need, and that's what the science does support. And that's my point is at a certain point you get to the point where it's so silly because everybody's aligned against you is you, you have to get to George you know, You know what would be amazing is if we had actual public servants who were in there listening to the public and trying to make decisions based on what – is beneficial yes. to the county and to the in the in the, in the public interest, rather than maybe casting votes because they're afraid if they don't toe the line and do what they're supposed to, they're going to be voted out and there'll be a pack of glossy mailers pushed out. Yes, and them. let me also let me add to this and let me say this with with full throated for my fellow veterans on that board, shame on you. That is nothing but cowardice to see these big tough guy Marines standing up there when you're all quaking your boots over a little old man developer. Cowardice, shame on you. It, make, it, makes, it puts a nasty taste in my mouth every time you guys puff up your, your chest above your distended bellies to try to say about being veterans and then you're sitting back there cowering in your seat on the dais because Carlos Bruf gave you a paycheck that you can't make on your own. Shame on you. Maybe we could leave it there. I have nothing more to say. <laughs> All right. That's been this episode of the Bradenton Times podcast. Join us Sunday for the Sunday edition. And please, if you're listening Wednesday and you have an opportunity to come in and give them an earful tomorrow, please do. Uh, www.thebradentontimes.com. Fact-based news and analysis without an agenda.